0: For women, it's personal, personal and political. And if we don't change the meaning of food across the board, not just to talk about sustainability and that we must have good harvest, but we must talk about how human society survives through food and women in particular cannot carry human society on our backs indefinitely so that when we make adjustments, women still are in the same situation that they've been in for millennia. For me, that is not transformation. It's just a reinvention of the system, you know? Food has to be the center of women's lives first, that women cannot grow food through unequal relations of power in a family or in a society. No. If we're going to have equality, it has to be everybody sharing an equal load of the work.
1: Are you wondering how you can learn more about food? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Chakula podcast brought to you by the Root to Food Initiative, a show that celebrates authentic Kenyan dishes and serves you hot conversations about food in Kenya from an economic, social, and political lens. Semanasi si kwenye social media at root to food on Instagram, at root to food on Twitter, and root to food on Facebook. And now, here's your host, Felicitas Mwalia. In 2020, 768 million people suffered from hunger and undernourishment. That is almost 10% of the global population. In 2020, the prevalence of moderate or severe food insecurity was 10% higher among women than men. The FAO expects these numbers to rise as a result of the economic crisis triggered by COVID-19. These are not accidental byproducts of our food systems. They are the consequences of lacking regulation and existing power imbalances. This imbalance is even more severe when power dynamics between men and women is taken into consideration. Today, I'll be joined by a very interesting person, all the way from Eswatini, Patricia McFadden, a radical ecofeminist, and she grows her own food. Karibu sana, Patricia. Welcome. Um, asante. Oh, so you also look slightly interesting. Kidogo. Uh-huh. Aha. Yeah, you have an interesting portfolio. So I think it would be really nice for you to share with the listeners and with me as well who Patricia really is.
0: Well, I'm 70 years old this year, and uh, I lived most of my life as a justice warrior. From my childhood, I sometimes I think I had an, an instinct. Against injustice. And I, I really believe that every human being is born with a, a sensibility of freedom and justice in us. Uh, but it is suppressed, and we are taught how to accept the unequal systems, the practices, the prejudices. And then we become reflections of that system. Uh, but for me, for some reason, I've always been non-conformist, and um, I uh, insisted on uh, defining who Patricia is. So most of my life, uh, I have lived as someone who works towards fulfilling herself. I spent many years in the women's movement, in the anti-colonial struggles, the movements for Southern African Independence, and um, but in the uh, mid early 2000s, I suffered a personal loss. I lost a son whom I loved dearly, and then I decided that I was coming back. To this mountain where i live in Eswatini, uh, where my parents own some land and my father allocated me a bit of land here while he was alive and um and i i found myself i returned to myself and i needed to be in a place where i could nurture myself and i had not found uh, the safety and the nurturing in the in institutions of women's resistance. I had found it in friendships. Um, my feminist friends were always um, a bulwark for me, but I needed to uh, heal myself, and I also had become vegan uh, in the nineteen uh, in the nineteen eighties, late nineteen eighties, and so uh, more and more I was not able to find food. I was only encountering commodities that are full of pesticides and poisons, and my body was resisting, and also. I had become an activist in the women the women's environmental movement. Um, at an international level. So lots of things converge to bring Patricia to this mountain, searching for a sense of self and also looking for uh, new ways of living my life as a radical
1: woman uh, who was heading for the last quarter of her life. That's where and that's how I became situated here. I must say that's a really interesting portfolio. And Patricia, I'm just uh, curious, you trying uh, to look for food, is that the reason as to why you started growing your own food? Yeah, because it's not food what is sold on the shelves. Mm-hmm. It's trash. And I had developed a consciousness
0: about the preciousness of my body. And you know, making the connection between the concepts that are foundational to feminism, integrity, dignity, wellness. I had worked in reproductive health, reproductive rights. I had seen the impacts of steroids, of allopathic medicine on women's Bodies, but also on my own. And so I just arrived at a conjuncture, at a moment in my life where it made sense and I needed to to craft a, a lifestyle that was going to be sufficient for me, that was going to be enough for me, that would also bring me joy and healing. And this convergence is what has defined what I call my eco-feminist lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, being vegan, eating organic, recognizing the toxicity in what is called food, which is not food, because we can see humans are dying all around us, you know? So that's the coincidence, and it's already linking up with the question you asked me just when we started the conversation about how uh, food and feminism intersect.
1: Yeah. As a feminist, Patricia, is the current approach to our food and feminine system really working for women, both in the rural and Well, you,
0: you asked me, you asked me a question at the beginning. Maybe it's because we, we
1: spent the first 15 minutes trying to
0: sort out our technological things. But you asked me why, why I grow and consume my own food. And I would love to just uh, speak to that quickly because your question really enables me to center myself in the lifestyle. And you see, there tends to be a disruption or a rupture between what we say as activists, Mm -hmm. what we do publicly publicly. And how we live in our bodies and how we live our lives in, our, in the prime. And so your question enables me to speak to the fact that for me, mm-hmm. uh, becoming vegan, growing my own food, to live in my body differently, to think about, for example, issues of longevity, mm-hmm. of healing, of wellness, but also to connect that with some of the work that I've been doing most of my life. For example, resisting violation, Mm -hmm. you know, violation against women. Uh, But that's a narrow cap of violence. When you actually become vegan Mm -hmm. and you think about an organic production system that is intertwined with your polity, then you realize that actually the rejection of violence has to be broad and deep. So I don't put blood in my mouth. I do not consume creatures, other animals, living things, sentient beings, I don't consume them. So it's really important for us to see this discourse, this activism, this conceptualization and this practice of food as a, a as a right, food as a politics, you know,
1: yeah, to see it
0: in its wholeness as completely possible, you know. And of course, I work in my fields, and so my body is very strong. I'm very strong. I I, um, I encountered COVID in January this year. Mm-hmm. and i call it i just crashed and i was in my house i live alone i like it it's a choice that i may have made and my living alone is a, a rebuttal of all the the all the presumptions that when you are older as a woman you need somebody next to you you need people talk to me like that like i'm an invalid because i'm 70 years old you know my nephews call me and say oh we're checking on you i'm like you checking on me did i say i was sick. Mm-hmm. So the language is very ageous, It's very misogynistic, but it has been normalized. So when you are an older woman, you are assumed to be even more fragile, more vulnerable, more frail, more unable to do things for yourself. Yeah. And so it enables me to have these multiple conversations, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing, when you choose to live outside the system, the opportunities for new ideas Ideas for en- new engagements. You know, it's so amazing. So I work, I do the work myself. I don't have anybody in my fields. And um, I, I build my body, I think about longevity, I, I am able to counter ageism. But also, I'm against the exploitation of women's labor in agriculture in particular, because that's the main place where we are exploited as women globally, internationally. And so by not employing somebody, it enables me to resist this normative status that women should work to feed their families. But women are among the most malnourished humans on earth. But they work 12 hours a day to feed somebody else you know there are stereotypes and tropes that we need to debunk and one of them is linked with wifehood and motherhood you see so this thing about sacrificing ourselves and many of the conversations around food are not challenging that you know there's no critical thinking about the language we are still using the same paradigms even though we are attempting to solve the problem of hunger you see like you started by listing those statistics mm-hmm. and then often what happens is that the woman is, is positioned in the, in the center of this crisis of human reproduction and then she's expected to be the miracle maker. It's like provision of health. Women are expected to provide health to everybody but they are among the
1: sickest people on earth. So clearly what you're trying to say is that this current approach to our food and farming systems is clearly not working for women and um, And as a feminist, how do you think we'll be able to address this issue?
0: Uh, We have to bring the issue, the matters of sustenance, of well-being, of joy, of pleasure, back to the woman herself. We cannot use women as a means to solving social crisis that women didn't create. Mm-hmm. Women themselves have to return to themselves. We have to return to ourselves. And that is what I do as a feminist who brings my politics to basically what I do agri- agroecology here. Mm-hmm. Because I have trees and I have plants and I have crop beans, legumes. But through a feminist And I center what I do on myself, my health. That's why I'm radical about it. I don't think that women should continue the status quo through a language that doesn't translate into transformation for themselves
1: the most interesting thing that I've just been able to observe around is with feminist movements, we've not been able to see a lot of feminist movements really embracing agroecology or supporting the agroecology movement, and yet both of them are trying to challenge power dynamics. Why is that? Why is that happening? I think maybe we can connect quickly with the second question, which
0: is, you know, the answer, why is it that the current approach to food and farming um, doesn't work for women? Mm -hmm. And it hasn't worked for women and for most humans for a very long time. And uh, agroecology is um, a system that aims to create a new model, but which feminists are not actually embracing. But let me just speak quickly to why the system itself doesn't work, because agroecology is actually embedded in the existing systems. And that's a fundamental problem with agroecology. Let me say why. Because you see, the existing systems have commodified food. Food is something you grow for sale. When you grow food to consume for yourself, to give yourself pleasure and joy, to strengthen your body, you know, to as a healer, because food is a healer, you see, when you grow it for those reasons, it's not recognized. People look at me like I'm crazy when I tell them that I don't sell because commodification puts the market as the most important reason for growing anything. Anything. You see, whether you're rearing other creatures, living creatures, or whether you are putting seed in the ground uh, or harvesting trees. And also for us in the societies of the South, the persistence of colonial production systems, which are exclusionary and exploitative, of African labor, of African bodies. These have persisted and actually they have permeated both formal production systems and informal. So for example, you see women in rural spaces Mm -hmm. growing an acre of tomatoes and cabbages and using pesticides and fertilizer. And this is supposedly a development project, but it's just a microcosm of the larger uh, system of commodity agriculture that is using toxins and pollutants etc so you can see how this existing embedded and entrenched system uh, adopts the language that comes from women's attempts Mm -hmm. to free themselves and it attaches them attaches this language to these micro uh, projects you see yeah and it basically it appropriates them you see yeah. And then you, you, and these women. I mean, right across our continent, you can see how, in, in a perverse way, women who have been for centuries since the beginning of human societies—they've been the custodians, the protectors of nature, of seeds, of life, of mm-hmm. food, of sustenance—they are now participants in a globalized, destructive extractive agricultural system, you see. Yeah. We have to disrupt that. We have to do the political work. We have to explain to the, to women uh, that the only way to return to good health, to nurturing, to a life of wellness is to opt out of the commodification of food. It's not food. It's trash. You just have to look at, for example, maize. Maize has been so genetically modified that it's not food anymore. And Yet yeah, in nature, it was one of the most powerful plants you can grow. You know, you can use even the co- the, the, the hair on the cob to treat the bladder, you know, to treat bed wetting. Yet yeah, it, it's such a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, gift from nature. But it has been so invaded and so destroyed by capital, by uh, the invasive splicing of the gene of the maize and all. It's really extractive. It's extractivism. It's one of the saddest examples of extractivism, you see. Yeah. And the destruction of nature, you see. I think it's really important for us mm-hmm. to be radical about this issue of food. If we keep on mimicking what FAO and Wordful World Food Program and all of them, the UN, we're just going to repeat what has been going on for a long time, your green revolutions and all that. That is just capitalism reinventing itself and appropriating our language, you see.
1: And I think in the long term we won't be able to fight hunger and we won't be able to fight inequality. No, because capitalism is not interested in fighting hunger and in fighting
0: inequality. They want to maintain a, res- a reserve of labour that is lives precariously, that is not able to grow their children. I mean, we as Africans, our children have the highest rates of stunting in the world. African women are the most malnourished humans with women in South America the world, of course. You look at the United States, African people in the Caribbean. So you can see there's an intersection with race, yeah. with class, mm-hmm. with colonialism, yeah. with capitalism, and with heteropatriarchy. which brings me because, you see, colonialism changed the meaning of food. When you take people's land away and you transform the people into laborers who are so exploited without protection, and you push them into these massive farms, monocrop production of sugar cane, of cotton, of maize, of beans that are inedible, your body can't digest it, you know, then you create a reserve of labor which is precarious. People live precariously. They are terrified that multinational corporations will send them off, will make them redundant, will make them unemployed. People live in hell. So the expropriation of land on this continent is one of the major strategies that capitalism has used to reproduce hunger. And I would not have been able to do what I'm doing if my parents had not purchased some land when they were young and we would kill them because I I couldn't possibly buy land. But there's no more land because the population has grown now, you see. But I have land, a piece of land. I don't use more than two acres. The important thing is that we have to critique the meaning of food. What does food mean? and we must put it in a historical context and explain that what people are buying on the shelf is not food, it's toxins, it's trash. That is why we are so sick. We have diabetes, we have hypertension. We have obesity, and it's part of the capitalist strategy to mine the black body. Everywhere where black people live, we have the same diseases, the same chronic condition. And it's directly linked with the multinational corporations and the elites who occupy the state, who allow the multinational corporations to take our land to grow, you know, the modified trash. It's basically cattle feed. And we, of course, because our bodies are treated as property, you know, the same way that cattle are treated as property. We as black people, we are fed the same stuff. And it has become now normal to us, you know, fairly. And it's really sad to see how our creative instincts have been stalked by. We don't think outside of Saza Nyama, You know, Saza Nyama, Hey, Nyama Choma with a bit of Omuriwo. Why? You know, we have to to rupture this stultifying experience because it's killing us. And then we must enjoy the beauty, the bounty of our continent.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. You also mentioned about land and maybe just to think of it from what you've been able to summarize is that land is the starting point to a lot of inequalities and to hunger. And here in Africa, specifically here in Kenya, and I believe in other African countries, we see women, yes, women do a lot of work in the land but still basically women can't own land do we blame that on 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 the current system or do we blame that on patriarchy and how how do we address this
0: i, I often say you know uh, you have to think about uh, human society as constructed around a large framework, which is what we call patriarchy. Mm-hmm. All human societies are patriarchal. And you know, don't don't be um, hoodwinked by people who say in Africa there's matriarchy, blah 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 blah. If you ask them what is matriarchy, they can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So patriarchy is the framework within patriarchy. You have you have dominant systems like capitalism and feudalism, for example. These are infrastructure infrastructures of patriarchy. Feudalism, for example, has found a way to interface with capitalism. In Africa, it's one of the best examples of how feudalism as an older infrastructure of exploitation, of wealth accumulation, of oppression and exploitation, has been able to... Survive. And it's largely because black male elites use the feudal system, eh, what is called traditions and culture and all, to keep working people. Outside of the urban spaces where labor is employed, providing cheap labor for the agribusiness industry mm-hmm. and also to control women, to control women and keep women in a place where they continue to produce food, to reproduce the humans and they are not paid. They, they are not no remuneration. We're supposed to be happy that people tell us, oh, but you're a mother. The mother is a wonderful thing. There's nothing better than being a mother. Well, hello, there are many things better than being a mother. Okay? So we have to disrupt these tropes, these myths, these taboos, that enable an infrastructure like feudalism to continue. Because most women in the rural spaces, unless they live with someone who has private property, they have no rights, which is what you're talking about. that women have no access to land. We are also Africans completely, 100%. Why is it that we cannot own land? Why is it that we only have access to land through males, through husbands, fathers, grandfathers, sons? No. That is feudalism. Feudalism is one of the infrastructures of patriarchy. Capitalism is another infrastructure of patriarchy. Both of them use ideologies. They use all kinds of strategies, you see. Yeah. to control the labor of women and of working people. But you can't separate them. They are intersectional. People, if you separate them and you put them in silos, you won't be able to explain why Africa is spinning its wheels. The majority of Africans, we are excluded from the resources of the richest continent on earth. You see, yeah. where you have 95% of Africans, we are in, live in dire deprivation and 5% live like pigs you can see it even on their bodies you know they're they're over consumer so I think we have to to look at the issue of food within the context of the relations, the unequal relations of production around land, around value, around knowledge, around labor, around creativity. And then we have to insist on creating alternative farming systems. And agroecology is a good system, but it reaps produces the exclusions Mm -hmm. uh, of women. Women still, you can have agroecology, but you see the discourses around families and communities and how people feel happier when they do agroecology. It's true, but women are still exploited. They're still working longer than everybody else. They are still expected to So we have to bring feminism to agroecology. And there is actually a beautiful collection of work that feminists have done. Looking at the benefits of agroecology in terms of ecofeminism, and and also looking at the critiques of agroecology, e- uh, and and why it is still very masculinist. You know, it's still not sufficiently critical yeah. of um, yeah. the use of hybrids and things like that. So there is a growing genre of feminist, radical feminist literature on this.
1: No, I feel like i um, from a cl- from a learning session right now. Like a class. <laughs> I did tell you that I'm a teacher.
0: <laughs> and you know, yeah. one of the things that we, all, the feminists, um, are doing and mm-hmm. should do more often is that we should make the clarity that we have of feminism. Make it known to young women who want to call themselves feminists, who want to do feminist activism. We must make the distinctions. We must show you. Because I've been feminist for at least 60 years. And since I was a child, I knew that I didn't want to be in the system. I wanted to live my life to the fullest but there were no there was no place for me to do it. Why I'm cre- I've created a place for myself. And then the insights that I get from this lifestyle that I'm living. What I learned from nature, the respect for nature. What happens to me when I watch a seed push through the earth and uh, the integrity of that process, I bring it back to feminism. Yeah. To revitalize feminism. You see? Yeah. When I feel my body so strong and well and healthy and full of joy. I bring that to my conversations with my friends uh, with my sisters about why we have to reconnect with nature in every possible way because that's where we revitalize our ideas about freedom, our ideas about equality. It's not something that comes from the UN that is manufactured by technocrats. It's a life experience that teaches you how to experience your freedom in new ways, you see. And you can't squeeze yourself into a, uh, you can't, you know the expression, you can't put a round peg into a square hole.
1: Patricia, we've now come to the end of the show. and. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for creating time. You're most
0: welcome. And
1: thank you so much for the insights. And since you've been in this space for over 60 years, what wise words do you have for us as we wrap up the show? Wise words. You see, wise
0: wise words, yes. Yes. You see, the most beautiful thing you can do for yourself as a woman. And I always speak from my subjective grounding as a woman because that's where I live. That's who I am. Yeah, yeah right? Mm -hmm. The most beautiful thing you can do is to give yourself the gift of radical feminism. Mm
1: -hmm. Then all
0: the oppressions that you have been swallowing, all the humiliation that you accept because you've been taught that this is how it's done. You can't change it. All that just moves aside. And you are indomitable. You are unstoppable. And all your creatures, the most beautiful parts of you become available to you, you see. Yes. Your strengths, your intelligence, all of it becomes accessible to you because the systems that have been oppressing you, silencing you, muzzling you, you know, they you push them aside by giving yourself the gift of radical feminism. Not just feminism, which is the ideology of resistance against patriarchy a women's ideology, not for men. Men have to create their own ideology because they are not women. They don't experience patriarchy the way we experience it. They have to create a language, an ideology that speaks to their rejection of patriarchy. You see? Yeah. Yeah. Men who claim to be feminists are just opportunists, they want to jump on the bandwagon of feminism so they don't have to do the hard work of giving up their privilege as males in patriarchal society. To give up privilege, you have to actually transform yourself, create a new language, create the new movements, resist the system, reject the system. You know, it's like white people who say my best friends are blacks, and, but they still enjoy white privilege. So for uh, for me, feminism is a politics of resistance and emancipation and celebration of women, women's freedom from patriarchy. And that's what you must give yourself. Those are my wise words to you, my dear. <laughs> I love them.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Patricia. It's been so lovely, fairly talking with you. Thank you so much. Wow, that was a very, very interesting conversation. Thank you so much, Patricia. Thank you so much to our listeners for listening in till the end of the show. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.